checking our beliefs against the scriptures. You must have a proper belief in the gospel in order to know that you are in him, in order to know that you are a believer. The second way that we saw that we could check our spiritual pulse is to check to see if we have a proper view of sin. And we saw that in chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, and then also in chapter 2 and verse 1. And we saw that a proper view of sin includes the idea that we should avoid it and that we should confess it. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, we see that sin is inevitable, but, verse 2, we have a payment, a propitiation that... that acts for us so that we can rec be reconciled to God. And so tonight we're, we are going to look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, and we're going to see that true believers demonstrate their spiritual life by obeying God's commands. Chapter 2, let's begin reading in verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. I think this passage is broken down into four main sections. First, in, in verse 3, we have the truth of the passage summarized, and then we have it repeated in verse 6. Okay, so we have the basic truth that we're looking at in verses 3 and 6. But in between those two, we have an example. First, we have a ne negative example of what an, a professing believer does in verse 4, and then in verse 5, we have a positive example of what a true believer does. So let's begin in verse 3 and look at uh, the truth summarized. True believers demonstrate their spiritual life by obeying God's command. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And I say this is the main truth of the passage because we have these words know and keep repeated over and over again. Look at verse 3 again. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Verse 4, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments. And then the end of verse 5, by this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So there's this idea, there's this uh, connection there between the idea of knowing and keeping. And that is what the whole book of 1 John is about. It's about knowing God. How can we know that we know God. And, and I've said before that this is not a means to salvation. It's not the way in which we obtain salvation. But it's the way that we guarantee that we have salvation. It's the way that we can understand that we have assurance of salvation. We've, if, if you have been a believer for any uh, period of time, you have struggled with that idea of whether or not you are, you are saved or not. And that is a difficult thing to go through, but John is telling us that we can know for sure that we know him. And in this passage, we see we can know him, verse 3, if we keep his commandments. It's that simple. 
Are we keeping his commandments? So uh, that the verse 3 is broken up into two main parts. The first part is the assurance. By this we know that we have come to know him. How can we be assured? The second part tells us that is the basis for the assurance. If we keep his commandments. So the way in which we receive assurance of our salvation is by keeping his commandments. And we find out later in the book of 1 John that one of the ways in which God allows us to have that assurance is through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the sons of God, that we are children of God. So that is the Spirit's work within us. And John tells us that the and in our passage here that, that we can know that we know God if we keep His commandments. And that is because obedience is the external, visible proof of salvation. Salvation is something that happens internally, but then once it happened, it explodes into what? A life of obedience. Remember, we were formerly rejectors of God's laws. We formerly hated the things that God commanded of us, and so we were turned in the opposite direction of what God wanted us to go. And when we became believers, we now had the ability to please God. We now were able to obey Him, something that we could not do before. So obedience is this external, visible proof of salvation. And this was in contrast to what the false teachers in John's day were teaching. They were saying that, um, no, your lifestyle was disconnected from what you believe. As long as you believe all the right things, you're okay. But John was saying, no, I can tell you that you don't believe the right thing based on how you live. If you are living like an unbeliever, you're probably an unbeliever. And John's a little bit more forceful than, than that statement that, that I just gave you. John is... John says things like, If you say that you have no sin, you lie. If you do not keep his commandments, you're a liar, we'll see in verse 4. So if you keep his commandments, it's a good evidence that you are a believer. This idea of to know means to have a personal relationship with. John says, By this we know that we have come to know him. Well, what, is, what does it mean to know him? It's the idea of, of having a personal relationship. And it's something that's gained through observation, through experience, and through instruction. It's not enough to know about God, is it? There are lots of people that know about God. But we need more than just to know about God. We have to know God. It, it, it gives the idea of a personal relationship. And, and that's what John says that we need in order to have assurance of our salvation. So the first way, or the, the way that we're looking at tonight in which we check our spiritual pulse is by looking at our walk. We're looking at the way that we live. Do we keep his commands? Pretty simple. Now... John could have ended it right there because we have the whole passage summarized in that one verse. We could have closed up our Bibles and gone home, but because verse 3 is just a summary, he goes on and tries to explain it in verses 4 through 6. And he explains it first with the negative principle in verse 4, 
then a positive, I'm sorry, a negative example in verse 4, then a positive example in verse 5. And then he concludes in verse 6 with a restatement of his, his theme and an expansion of his point. So we'll, we'll see that when we get to it. But first, let's look at verse 4, the false claim of assurance. The one who says, I have come to know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So the one who says, I have come to know him. It's not enough to, to make a claim of salvation. You've met people like this when you've, when you've gotten to witness to them. That, that they have made a profession of faith, but you can see by their lifestyle that they are not a believer. And you can even check some of their beliefs against the scripture and recognize that they are not a believer. And so John says it's not enough just to make a claim. A few weeks ago, we, we looked at this when we were looking at chapter 1 and verse, uh, verse 8. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. There's a false claim again. They're saying, I don't have any sin, I've never sinned. Obviously, that cannot be the case. And so it's not enough just to make a claim. And the same thing is true for us. It's not enough for us to, to look back on a time in our lives when we, set, we saw that, that we thought we were saved. That's, that's not the proof of your salvation. And I gave the illustration that we often, when, when we want to show, show people that we are alive, when we want to prove our spiritual life, we pull out our spiritual birth certificate. You say, see, I, I was born. Or see, the inside of my Bible, I, I know exactly the time in which you know, I was saved. But do you know that there are many people who have had experiences like that, where they thought they were saved. But John says it's not enough just to go back to a certain time in your life. Obviously, that has to happen in order for you to be a believer. But the proof of your life is, are you showing signs of life? Do you believe the right way? Chapter 1, verse 1 through 2, 2. Do you believe the right way? And now, chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Do you walk the right way? Do you obey God's commands? That's how you check if you have life. That's how you can know if you have a spiritual pulse. The claim that these false believers were giving did not match their lifestyle. It was a mismatched claim. They say, I have come to know him, but John says they don't keep his commandments. They don't keep him. And the result is that they are condemned, they are called a liar, and then also the truth is not in him or in them. So in other words, if we do not keep his commands, we should have no assurance of our salvation. If we are not obeying what God has told us to do, why should we be assured of our salvation? Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, says that he who started a work in you will continue it, will finish it. He will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. So if we are not obeying God, why should we expect to have any assurance of our salvation? 
Because God doesn't change people. He doesn't just change their destination. He changes their pathway. He changes the, the way that they live. God turns people who are pagans, people who hated him, into people who love him and love others. And so if we're not acting in that way, then we should not have any assurance of our salvation. So, we need to understand this idea of heat because this, the, these false believers were saying, one, they were saying that they, they know God, but they were not keeping his commandments. So what does it mean to keep God's commandments? Keep is the idea of an observant or watchful observer. Someone who is following each aspect of his master. It has the idea of a continual watchfulness of God's commandments. Look back at chapter 1, verse 6. It has to do with our lifestyle. Chapter 1, verse 6, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So it's a... So this idea of keeping his commandments has to do with our lifestyle, about walking. Not walking in darkness, but walking in the light. Turn to chapter 3 and verse 6, and I think this will help us understand a little bit more clearly. Chapter 3 and verse 6 says, No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as he is righteous. And the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. So that is the idea right there of keeping his commandments. It's the idea of practicing. Obviously we cannot keep the entire law of God. Because we are still finite. Because we still have the effects of a sin-cursed world within our bodies and within our minds. We cannot fully keep the whole commandment. So... Obviously, if John was saying in chapter 2 and verse 4 that the one who says I have come to know him and does not keep all of his commandments, then none of us could have assurance of salvation. But that can't be what John is saying. And that's why I showed you that the idea of, of uh, acting righteously is actually a, a practice of, a general pattern of, of our lives should be that we practice righteousness. That we are walking in the truth, as opposed to walking in the darkness, walking in sin. So, we need to ask ourselves a question then. If, if we are to keep his commandments, then does everyone who keeps his commandments have assurance of salvation? I think that's a fair question. Does everyone who keep God's commandments have assurance of salvation? Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 10, he said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So Jesus makes it clear that the only way that you can abide in his love is if you are keeping his commandments. Or we could say it a different way. We could say, if you are abiding in Jesus Christ, the vine, then you will take part in the life-giving source that he has and you will keep his commandments and that is because no one can keep his commandments 
unless he abides in Jesus Christ. We cannot keep God's commandments if we don't abide in Christ. So, we can say that if we are keeping his commandments, then we are abiding in his love. You say, well, what about the unbeliever who obeys some of God's laws? Let's say they have a law to not murder. Isn't that one of God's commandments? But what does Jesus say in, in Matthew chapter 5? He says, I don't tell you just don't murder. That's not enough. You can't even hate your brother. And as I said before, the unbelievers, no matter how much good they do, they always do it with the wrong motive. They're doing it to please self. They're doing it to exalt themselves. They're doing it to, to satisfy their own desires. They are not doing it for the right reason. So we are the only people, believers are the only people who can obey God and do it with the right motives. So John's point is, if we are a believer, it will result in keeping his commandments. And I would say that the reverse is true, that if we are keeping his commandments, we can have assurance of our salvation. We can know that we know him if we're obeying God. If we are following God, if we are participating in the, in the practices of righteousness, if we are practicing the truth. So then, how can we keep his commandments? How can we do this? We go back to, to last week when we studied 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. You see, we find that Jesus Christ stands in our place. He is our propitiation and our advocate. He is our sacrifice and our mediator. He is our payment and our defense attorney. He stands before us, and even the things that, that we should not be doing, Jesus stands before us and defends us on the basis of his finished work on the cross. And he said, I paid for that sin. And so you cannot condemn them, God, which, which is what our sin deserves. Unbelievers, however, do not have Christ standing in their place. All the commandments that they try to obey are seen as filthy rags before God. And their obedience only results in, in obedience only results in condemnation. So only believers can obey. And John's point here in verse 4 is that knowledge not accompanied by, obe by obedience fails the test and proves to be counterfeit. If we say that we have a knowledge of God, if we say that we have a relationship with God, it fails the test if we are not obeying Him. So this is the way that we check our spiritual pulse. So John gives a negative example in verse 4. Then he turns to a positive example in verse 5. How should we, what should our lives look like? A true claim of assurance revealed, verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, 
In him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know we are in him. John gives us both the evidence and the results of our assurance of salvation. He gives the evidence of obedience at the very beginning. But whoever keeps his word, this is the evidence of our life in Christ. The result is found in the last part, or the middle of the verse, it says, In him the love of God has truly been perfected. In order for us to understand what he's talking about, we need to understand this idea of truly being perfected. What does that have to do with? I would say that this idea is, is basically that we reach our intended goal. So we could say, but whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly reached its goal. In other words, the goal of love is obedience to God. We find this all throughout Jesus' teaching. If, we love, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. We see this, this close connection between love and, and obedience. And so John is saying, if you keep my word, if you obey God, then it will show forth the, the love that is in you will reach its intended goal. Obedience to God proves that the love of God has reached its goal. So what, what are we talking about when we talk about the love of God? Because there's two, way that that, two ways that that could be read. We could say, in him, God's love for us has truly been perfected. Or we could say, in him, our love for God has truly been perfected. John leaves it ambiguous, so it's hard for us to determine. But I, but I would suggest to you that it's... Um, our love for God. Now, it could be that it is God's love for us has reached its intended purpose, but it's more likely that it's our love for God. Because, I say that because our love for God is actually a motivation for our obedience. Have you ever been so captivated by love for someone that you would do anything for them? If you are married then you know what I'm talking about. You will do anything for your spouse because you love them so much. And so the same thing is true in our spiritual lives. If we have, if we have been captivated by what Christ has done for us, then it should result naturally in a loving obedience to Christ. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, we don't often talk about ourselves in those terms, a living sacrifice. That doesn't sound very inviting or very exciting. To offer our bodies as a living sacrifice? Paul, why would we do that? Why would we give ourselves as a living sacrifice to God? Well, previously in the verse he had said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Or we could say, because of what God has done for us, because of how merciful God has been to us, we should offer our lives as a sacrifice. I mean, God displayed the most amount of love in our relationship by sending Jesus Christ, his son, to pay for our sins. So why wouldn't we be willing just to give up our lives? We're not paying for anyone's sins. 
We're doing it in a response to our gratitude, in response to our gratitude for him. And we saw God's mercy displayed in Romans chapter 1, verses 11, or chapter 1 through Romans chapter 11. And then he comes in chapter 12 and he says, this is why you should offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Because of God's mercy. Because of what God has done for us. And so that's why I say here in 1 John that the love of God has truly been perfected. Is probably referring to our love for God. It should be our motivation for obeying God. Our love for Him. God has planted this love within us. to, And it should result in obedience to Him. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 21, He that has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. So, habitual obedience demonstrates our love for God has reached its intended purpose. And, he, and John also says that we are in him. The end of verse 5 says, By this we know that we are in him. If you want to know that you have genuine spiritual life, Ask yourself, am I keeping his commandments? Am I keeping his commandments? Am I following God? Is it the general practice of my life to follow God? And so we come to verse 6, where we see the truth applied. And it's basically a restatement of what John had said in verse 3, but he expands on it a little bit. Verse 6 says, The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as Jesus walked. True believers demonstrate their spiritual life by obeying God's commands. John restates it in verse 6, but he expands on it and says, If you truly are obedient to God, then you should walk like Jesus did. And uh, so this, the way that we can know him our claim of assurance is seen in, in our lifestyle. And we should not be surprised by this because John had taught about this in John chapter 15. Turn with me there. John chapter 15. And we have Jesus calling himself the true vine. If we are in him, then we will take part in this life-giving source that he is, and we will respond with growth, with fruit. John chapter 15. Let's go ahead and read from verses 1 through 10. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. 
If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Do you notice the similarity in language between what Jesus was saying in John 15 and what we're learning in 1 John chapter 2? He uses this idea of abiding in Christ. And he says, if you really abide in me, then you will bear much fruit. Verse 8, my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. How can we prove that we know him? How can we show that we have signs of spiritual life? Jesus does not say, have you ever been connected to the vine? Because there are people who have some sort of connection, but it's a false connection to Christ as the vine. And, and it says that God takes those off, he takes those branches off, and he throws them away. But if you're truly connected to the vine, Jesus says, it's not that you've had a connection with me at some point, because lots of people have had a connection. The point is, are you bearing fruit? That's how you prove if you're one of my disciples. Are you bearing fruit? It's the same idea of, as keeping his commandments. Are we obeying God? Now, obviously, in there, I am not saying that there are people who are connected to the vine in a salvific way, meaning they have experienced salvation, and now, now they don't have salvation anymore. It's been taken away, or they've lost it in some way. And I... and. Uh, I've said before that, that Jesus clearly teaches that those who are gods in his hands are his forever. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29 teaches that clearly. So that can't be the case. But, but the point is, the evidence of life is bearing fruit. Or as John would say, the evidence of life is keeping his commandments. Do we do that? turn to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 24 and we'll see how else John talks about the same idea about keeping God's commandments. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 24. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and his commandments and, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Drop down to Chapter 4 and verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. Chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe or keep his commandments. Notice the similar language again. How can we know that we abide in Christ? John says, if we keep his commandments, we know that. But in this, in this verse that we're looking at, in chapter 2 and verse 6, he changes it a little bit. Instead of saying, um, the one who says he knows him, keeps his commandments, he changes it and says, the one who says he abides in him, same idea, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So instead of keep his commandments, he says, walk in the same manner as he walked. 
what does this have to do? This is basically our claim of assurance matching our lifestyle. Our lifestyle is this idea of walking. It's not literally walking, but it's, it's our lifestyle. How do we act in the course of our lives? Do we walk as Jesus walked? Because if we claim assurance of salvation, if we claim that we have salvation, there should be a lifestyle that matches up with it. But we could argue that, well, how can we walk like Jesus walked when Jesus walked perfectly? How can we do that? Are we supposed to walk perfectly too? I mean, how, how are we capable of doing that? Well, I don't think that, that that's the point here. I think the point is that Jesus Christ, his perfection is our goal. And Jesus Christ, we know, came, one of the purposes that he came was to be our example. What better way for us to model the, the life of a Christian than to model the life of Christ? Our exemplar, our perfect representation of what God wants. And so the, one of the reasons that Christ came was to be our example. And those who claim to be Christians ought to live as he did. Because we are part of the vine. And if we are part of the vine, we should bear fruit. Like the vine bears fruit. We should reflect his character. If we are, are truly taking part in his image, then we should be image bearers. We cannot obviously repeat what Christ did on the cross. We cannot mirror his perfect love and his perfect obedience and his self-sacrifice. But we can have that as our goal. The goal is set. Jesus Christ, perfection. That is our goal. And we should try to model that as best as we can. The Son of God incarnate, Jesus Christ, one of the reasons that he came, I said, was to be an example. He's basically showing us what we ought to be right now. And the New Testament presents him as this perfect example. It says we should walk as Jesus walked. And Peter adds that Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps, 1 Peter 2.21. But it's difficult to, to try to pattern after that sort of lifestyle. And so we must make this confession that we, we can't do it. However... The point is, verse 6, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk as he walked. We can't, we can't deny that we ought to. That is what our goal should be, to follow Jesus Christ, to do as he did. Just because the ideal is so infinitely high doesn't mean we should abandon it totally. And this is what the false believers or the false teachers in that day were doing. They're saying, listen, we can't be perfect, and in fact, our mind is really different from our body, so it doesn't really matter what our bodies do. That's all separate. As long as our minds are in spiritual uh, oneness with God, then it doesn't matter what our bodies do. But obviously, the, the evidence that they did not have real spiritual life was that their mind, did, their mind or their beliefs did not really match up with their lifestyle. 
And so just because the ideal is so high doesn't mean we should stop going towards that goal. The Son of God incarnate reveals not only what we ought to be here and now, but also what we will be. Turn to chapter 3 and verse 2. First John chapter 3 and verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. We know that we have never seen a Christian be all that he ought to be, that he or she ought to be. But we also know that when we see him, when we see Jesus Christ, we will be like him. It's almost unbelievable to think that we will be like Jesus Christ, but it's true. When we see him, we will be like the, the Lord of glory. I've heard the phrase before, I'm not what I will be, I'm less than what I ought to be, but by God's grace, I'm not what I should be. I am not under the condemnation of God. And so although I'm not all that I ought to be, I recognize that one day I will be something else. I will be like Jesus Christ. And the sin that plagues this body of ours and this mind of ours and this present age will be gone. It will be destroyed. And sometimes we get so discouraged with humanity as we see it in this present world. And we see even these professing believers that, uh, that reject the commandments of God and they do not follow what God has told them. Professing believers. And then, worst of all, we look at ourselves and we say we are not meeting up to the standards that God has for us. What failures we are. But here's God's great antidote for all of our discouragement. Look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, what hope? That we will be like him when we see him. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. That is our hope. That we can fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher, finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and was set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And we, much like him, will do the same. Now we won't be exalted as highly as Jesus Christ, but we will be exalted with Jesus Christ. We won't be sitting at the right hand of the throne of God but we will be enjoying all the benefits of being a co-heir, a co-inheritor of the gifts of God's grace. Because now, like Jesus Christ, we are his child. We are God's child. And so that is the great hope. Even though that sin weighs us down and we know that we are not all that we should be, one day we will be like him. Because we will see him as he is. What a great day that will be. So let's keep our eyes fixed on him. And the vision will not only sweep away all of our discouragement, but it will change us more and more into the image 
of Jesus Christ, of whom we will be like one day. The ideal to be like Jesus is beyond our power. True. That is true. But it's not to be beyond the power of him who sits on the throne. So John's point in chapter 2, in verse 6, is to walk as Jesus walked. Maybe a better way to put it would be, live what you say you believe. If you say that you know him, live like it. Live like a believer. Live like one who has been changed. That is, Paul, that is uh, John's point. We have to take hold of this promise and remember, if we expect to be like him up there, then we should start looking like him down here. We should start looking like him now. And God is at work within us. Are you rejecting the work that he's doing in your life? Because a true child of God reflects the character of his or her father. So John's point of this passage is that true believers reveal their true spiritual life by obeying God's commandments. Pretty simple truth. But it's a way in which that we can check our spiritual pulse. You know, a person could understand every point of doctrine in the Bible. And they could even try to follow them as best as they could. Yet, if a Christian has his right thinking disconnected from right living, then it's an indication that his claim really is false. That this so-called believer is not really one at all. We have to prove or give evidence of our salvation with our actions. Suppose a man by the name of Frank started a new business. Okay, and he left me in charge. He was going on a trip to, to Europe. And so he said, here are all the things that you need to do while I'm away. And so he, he was gone for several weeks. And while he was gone, he actually sent me some more letters. And these letters included further instructions of what I ought to do. But then suppose that Frank came back after several weeks. And he came back to find the office in complete disarray. Just a... An utter disaster. There's trash all over the floors. The phone's ringing off the hook while the receptionist is playing games on her computer. All the uh, people in the office aren't doing their work. They're sitting around talking. And uh, the worst part is that Frank's email is loaded with all these customer complaints and, and uh, clients wanting to cancel on it. And Frank comes up to me and says, Jacob, what happened here? What happened while I was away? Did you receive my letters? Did you follow my instructions? Did you receive anything? Oh, yeah, I received your letters. In fact, I thought those were great, Frank. You write really good letters. I love those letters so much that I, I passed around copies to everyone in the office. We all looked at them together, and we all got a real good kick out of them. We thought that they were great. And we loved those letters so much, Frank, that we even took some of those little phrases that you came up with, and we taught those to our children, and we memorized those little phrases. You remember that one? You know, if, if it's, it's not going to get done unless it gets done by me? That was a good one, Frank. 
We loved that one. And we even took some of those and we framed them on the wall. What would Frank say to me? Jacob, you don't love those letters. Why didn't you do what the letters told you to do? Don't tell me that you love those letters. I don't care how much you memorize them. I don't care how much you, you spread that to the people around you, you put it on the wall. That doesn't mean anything. Did you follow them? Did you obey the instructions that I gave you? And John is saying the same thing to us. If we claim to have spiritual life, we can have all of our doctrine in order. But are we obeying him? Are we following God's commandments? Because those who abide in Christ keep his commandments. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Words alone are empty, aren't they? They have to be coupled with right living. And we cannot fool ourselves. We are not a disciple of Christ if we have no spiritual fruit. We are not connected to the vine if our branch is not bearing fruit. Because, and that's why John says in verse 4, those who say that they're connected to the vine and yet do not bear fruit or they do not keep his commandments, they're not really connected to the vine. They are artificially connected to the vine. And their lifestyle will prove that they never really were. A disciple, by its very definition, follows. A disciple follows. And we as believers must follow Jesus Christ. Are you a true believer? Do you have true spiritual life? Has God genuinely changed you? If so, then God is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. Our adequacy should be found in God, 2 Corinthians 3.5. God should be equipping us in every th good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever, Hebrews 13.21. Do you obey God's commands? Do you know that you know him? Or do you simply know about him? It's not enough to know about God. Do you realize that hell will be full of people who know about God? Our relationship with our Father requires that we know more than just the basic truths about God. It requires a relationship. And our relationship is evidenced in our obedience to what he has said. Do you love God? If you love him, you will keep his commandments. 
Bible teaches that if you that if we want to be sure that we have a right relationship with God, then we will obey God's commands. Let's bow together for prayer. Lord, we admit that at times we are um, straying from you. We are prone to wander. And so we pray that you would take our hearts and seal these truths deep inside so that we can um, live what we say we believe. Help us to give evidence of the life that you have brought to us. Help us not to reject the work that you are doing in us. And I pray that you would give assurance to each believer here. Give them assurance of their salvation. Lord, you know that I'm not trying to um, get people to doubt their salvation. I'm trying to get believers to start living like they say they believe. And the same is true for me, Lord. You know at times that, that I am prone to wander as well. So I pray that you would just take these truths and plant them deep in our hearts and help us to obey you in every way. Help us to follow the perfect example of Jesus Christ, our Savior, for it's in his